for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We hope you can join us to celebrate Reformation Day 2021 on October 30th in Louisville, Kentucky. The Mid-America Reformed Baptist Association of Churches invites you to a one-day conference featuring Pastor Sam Waldron, Ron Miller, and Ben Carlson, who will be speaking on Solus Christus, or the Doctrine of Salvation by Christ Alone. To learn how you can attend in person or via live stream, visit marbach.org slash Christalone. You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Was church membership a scriptural category in the minds of the early Particular Baptist churches? And if so, Was it considered important? What were the ways by which a person could join a local particular Baptist assembly? Well, even a cursory reading of the church books of the time shows clear answers to these questions, so let's explore those in today's podcast. First, it's important to remember that the particular Baptist churches usually grew out of the soil of congregational dissent. That is, the particular Baptist churches frequently were offshoots of, or developments from, the dissenting churches who believed in a regenerate church membership. The English state church defined membership through legally mandated infant baptism. A testimony of regeneration was entirely unnecessary for inclusion in the church. Many, no doubt, actually believed that their infant sprinkling regenerated them. This meant a local congregation consisted of every English citizen baptized in infancy who lived near the church building. But dissenting congregationalists believed that churches were to be made up of what they called visible saints. These were people who professed conversion and lived consistently with that. They made a claim of regeneration and they bore fruit fitting to it. Some of these churches of the congregational way baptized infants, others did not, and some allowed both practices. But in all cases, it necessarily followed that joining a church was accomplished differently in these churches of the saints than in the state church of the infant baptized. There was always some method used to try and determine in truth and with love that the applicant was indeed a visible saint. In the congregational churches of the baptized way, that is, the particular Baptist churches, church membership was accomplished in the general sense by following the New Testament pattern of conversion, baptism, and then acceptance into the church for the sign of fellowship found in the Lord's Supper. But for most of the particular Baptist churches, there was a step added it was that of agreeing together with the church to be a member of that church. This was sometimes explained in terms of formal covenant-making. In others, the language was that of committing to walk together as a church. But this idea of a mutual contract or agreement was, for most, necessary 
for the individual Christians to be formed into a church. So yes, church membership was thought by the particular Baptists to be a scriptural category and even vital for the proper formation of a New Testament church. What were the practical methods used by which a person joined a church? As Dr. Jim Renahan points out, there were two, by testimony and by transfer. Most additions to membership recorded in the church books are by some form of testimony. From the Petty France Church Book, here are several examples. December 21, 1691, were received into communion upon profession and baptism Brother James Allen and Brother Samuel Humphreys. January 4, 1692, was received into communion upon profession of her faith and baptism, Mary Moore. Notice the language. What we call membership was often called communion. This denoted not only the right of the shared display of union at the Lord's table, but also the living quality of membership. It was not to be on paper only, but lived out in an active church life together. Communion was to be living. At other times, the language was very simple. September 1, 1689, Sister Mary Williamson was received into the church. Even here, though, the picture is one of joining the body by approval of the body. She was received into the church. This is often overtly stated in the records. The following record is found in the Broadmead book from 1671. Brother John Ford, Tanner, and Sister Ford, his wife. Brother Henry Fielddust with Sister Messenger and Sister Bowles, having been before propounded and spoken with, before all the whole congregation gave their declaration. They were the thirteenth day of the eighth month baptized, and all six admitted members of this congregation upon the fifteenth day of the eighth month, in the year of our Lord, 1671. Here the process is broken down in detail. First, the people requested membership. Then they were recommended to the church after an interview. Then they stood before the church and gave their testimony of conversion. The church then approved them by a vote, and after baptism, they were added to the church. Variations of this basic method are replete in the church books. Sometimes the public testimony proved inadequate. When Sister Mary Skinker was propounded, that is, put forward for consideration of membership, she gave an account of the work of God upon her soul before the whole congregation, the church book reads. But the brethren at Broadmead desired further time to speak with Mary about her principles, that is, whether she was sound in the doctrines of the gospel, and they were especially concerned with her views of the person and human nature of Christ. Clearly, they had some strong concerns about her orthodoxy. After a few months of further speaking with her, satisfaction was received, and she was added to the congregation. At other times, the testimony was checked. Interviews were taken with other family members, neighbors, past churches, and workplaces. Membership was conditional upon the confirmation gained by these inquiries. Clearly, it was not a mere 
token act to be received into membership into these churches. And baptism upon profession of faith was necessary in those congregational churches of the baptized way. Infant sprinkling, that virtually all of the applicants would have experienced, was not considered Christian baptism. And while general Baptist baptism was occasionally accepted, converts from the Quakers had to be baptized in obedience to Christ's great commission. Here is an example from the Broadmead records from 1672. Brother Richard Town on the 17th day of the first month proposed. Notice there's the step where you have to show an active personal interest in membership. On the 25th day of the same, he gave an account of the change upon his soul and how he came to be convinced of the damnable principles of the Quakers, having been one of them many years. He was with Sister Papewell, baptized on the 12th day of the second month and added a member upon the 14th of the said second month. Even when the one requesting membership was considered to already be a true Christian and a member of a previous true church, they weren't received into membership without a proper baptism. This included the Presbyterians. Here's another Broadmead example. Sister Pope, an aged widow and professor with our friends, called the Presbyterians, propounded to join with the church. She was spoken with before the whole church, they receiving satisfaction to receive her into communion. She was baptized and received a member. Notice she was not rebaptized because she had not previously received Christian baptism. This was a baptism. The other main way of joining the church was through transfer. This is not used much today in particular Baptist circles, but it is quite frequently found in the records. The person who desired membership could bring a letter of recommendation from their previous church. These weren't always particular Baptist churches, although, although they usually were. Sometimes letters from other churches organized around the concept of a regenerate church membership were also accepted. Here are a few notes from the books of Petty France. Brother John Colston was received by commendation from the church at Clonmel in Ireland. Brother and Sister Tuke by letters commendatory from Norwich and Sister Hancock's daughter from Dublin. At other times, the transfer was from much closer churches. If a person moved within the city of London, they might look for a new fellowship, for example. And of course, sometimes letters were sent out by these churches, not just received, so their members could received be received elsewhere with some ease. So, Sister Susanna Gregory was recommended to the church with Brother Hayward about St. Albans. The variety in these methods and circumstances of joining a church make for fascinating reading. It's evident that they tried diligently to adhere to the scriptural pattern for membership while taking into account the many variables that inevitably occur in a complex and fallen world. If you'd like to read more about the ecclesiology of the early particular Baptists, Jim Renahan's Edification and Beauty is an excellent starting point, as are the church books for Petty France and Broadmead that I have previously recommended. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace. 
Thank you.